the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show as we head into Hour 3. It is a delight to have in studio Congressman John Shattuck, former Congressman John Shattuck, represented Old Arizona CD District 4, uh, Central Phoenix, this area that we're broadcasting from for 16 years. Uh, There are two men in the studio, myself and he, and of the two, uh, the House Republican Conference this afternoon took one of our pieces of advice. <laughs> John had a piece in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Um, America needs a House Speaker. Get to work. Do it. Just get it done um, was the tone and tenor of it. And if they couldn't, then they'd have to go back. I, I kind of challenged the uh, conclusion. I said, you know, we don't need to uh, necessarily have some – we don't need to have someone from within the uh, – in the uh, conference itself, they could go outside, and John Shattuck would be a fine choice. They chose Mike Johnson. They didn't go outside Thank their goodness. own. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. I, I mean, I'm very optimistic. This guy looks great. He does. I've been researching him as much as I could today. I wish I had served with him. I wish I knew him better. But He came in a little after you. He came in, I believe, in 2017, if I'm not mistaken, so about, what, four or five years after you had left? Yep. I, I left in 2011. And, uh, but I, I will tell you. I like the cut of his jib. I was blown away by his speech. Yeah. Uh, he, he, not only what he said, and I kind of was mystified that he could write that good a speech that quickly, but his delivery um, was, I thought, especially good in the sense that it showed humility. He, he, he would listen to the audience reaction and then incorporate it into his speech and say, thank you, or say, yeah, or that's right. And and. And he motivated the Democrats to applaud him uh, and was bipartisan in the way that a speaker has to be more than any speaker in memory. I mean, uh, Pelosi relished in alienating or being mean to uh, the Republicans. And and for that matter, uh, and Boehner's friends won't like me saying it, but Boehner relished in offending or demeaning the conservatives. And this guy uh, had nice things to say about everyone, uh, whether they were Democrats or Republicans, whether they were conservative or moderate. Uh, And I watched the nominating, at least one of the nominating speeches, and you could see that they were excited, uh, both about putting this chapter behind them which was vitally important for the nation. But they also seem to be genuinely excited about the candidate. And I think they were, it appears to me like they may, may be dead right. This guy may have just exactly the right attitude about the job, but also the right attitude about America. He said a number of complimentary things about America that I would at least argue a more conservative speaker couldn't say. It's a, it's a sad to acknowledge, but in America today, if you say good things about America, if you say we are the greatest nation on earth, if you talk about some good thing we did, the left 
can actually get away with putting you down for that, ridiculing you for that, making fun of it or, or, or openly opposing it. And that never happened. And this guy, Mike Johnson, Speaker Johnson now, said a lot of positive things about America, some that his father had taught him, some that he had, some that he had learned growing up. Uh, he showed a great deal of humility, which lots of speakers don't. Uh, and I think that appeals to America and to all Americans, right, left, or middle. Uh, and he, no one kind of, even the, even the most leftist Democrat, didn't ever boo him uh, or, or react negatively. So I, I'm very impressed at this point. You know, um, John Wright, and uh, one of the things that I find, two of the things I find interesting about him, three of the things, I'll come in again, like the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> Spanish Inquisition from Monty Python. Among the things that I find interesting and impressive about him, he wears well. He has a he has a nice demeanor. I mean, you can't you can't teach that. You either have it or you don't. Yep. Um, a kindly demeanor. He's as hard rock right. I was looking at his voting record and a social conservative as you can find. This wow. man made his bones in social conservatism. So we can dispense with that debate once and for all. He must thankfully. carry himself well, yeah. well to do that yeah. because the reality is uh, I made the mistake of running for leadership, but I did not carry that attitude with me. What I mean by that is I openly said when I got to Washington that my job was to push the conference as far to the right as I could. Mm -hmm. That meant I offended the moderates. Mm -hmm. uh, it meant I offended Boehner. Um, it didn't mean I offended Newt or Denny, uh, but, but moderate and very liberal members just didn't like John Shattuck mm -hmm. because my job was to push them to the right and to tell them where they were wrong. And I did that. So when I ran for leadership, I got crushed. Um, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who's not near conservative enough for me, always was uh, friendly to everyone, left, uh, middle, conservative. Uh, I'd have been happier if he'd been even friendlier to the conservatives. But you got to walk this straight line, this narrow line of being not being threatening. So if, as you say, Mike Johnson is truly hard yeah, right. Yeah then he has managed to carry that off without right. offending people. Right. Whereas I would argue that I carried it off, but I offended people. <laughs> well, I understand what you're saying. I mean, it's a certain demeanor, and maybe there's the Southern charm to him. The, the, one of the things I like about him is I saw some reviews of people who know him. They say he's kind of bookwormy ah. and kind of, you know, a little bit of a, yep. a, a bookworm nerd type. That goes a long way. When I was doing stuff in D.C., I worked in the social conservative circles back then, and we had the majority, and I remember we were always dealing with committee chairmen that didn't – the old joke was we were the ugly cousins that they tolerated at the Thanksgiving table with the yellow shirts yep. and the yellow teeth. You you, you remember yep. that kind of – that yep. kind of hit on us, and they kind of tolerated us, and we always had to you know feel like we were guests at the table – this guy, you'd be at home with him. He'd be at home with you, and you'd be at home with him that, from that from that perspective. And that, that's a big difference. That sets that says volumes, and it is a huge yeah. difference. Yeah. Uh, 
probably my best friend in the early days in Congress was Tom Coburn. Oh, and great. Tom Coburn yeah. was hard, hard, right. Uh-huh. And uh, we became fast friends. Uh, I say I taught him law and he taught me medicine. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, Tom was so intensely conservative. Uh, he, he was very Christian, so he wasn't mean, but he was certain of his conservative stand. And when he retired from Congress, some of the left who had not liked him, and by left, I mean left within the Republican conference, were so happy that he was leaving, including, I remember, one particularly outspoken appropriator whom Tom had fought. Because Tom Tom was not an appropriator. He was was not only not an appropriator, Tom was the leader of the charge in opposing Right. Earmarked spending. Right. You know, he said it was destroying the nation and he was tough on that. So when he was leaving, one of the appropriators offered to buy him a ticket, an airplane ticket, one way airplane <laughs> ticket back, back to, to Oklahoma. Oklahoma. <laughs> um, but I think they were equally as happy when I left, which even though I ran for leadership twice, stupidly, uh, explained why I really wasn't suited for leadership. But uh, if he, if. Johnson is likable and and disarming, you know, uh, a good old guy. And as I said, he came across as uh, solid in his belief, but still not arrogant in his remarks. Then he can, in fact, unite the conference, which yeah. is uh, what needs to happen. Yeah, there's an old expression. He wears the world like a loose garment. He's easygoing. He's a friendly type guy. Tom Coburn, great, 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 great. Congressman and Senator was not that guy. No, right, no. right. You know that you know it when you see it, kind of thing. Where is Jim Jordan? You know, I, right, right. I love Jim Jordan, right. and, and a lot of right. people don't realize how really gifted right. and how much he has done for the cause. But but Jim is willing to be offensive. Yeah, sharp elbows yep. and uh, not easy to approach always. But nope. this guy looks like that. So um, I'm optimistic about him. I'm very optimistic about him. Maybe we maybe maybe we, we traded up. Maybe we traded up, and uh, at least uh, I can. I'm going to claim some credit because I oh, pushed, pushed them into it. action uh, the day before they finally acted. I said one of us in here's advice was taken, and one of us wasn't. Yours was John Shattig, and I'll be right back. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. What? Wait, wait. Now, to, now I should talk. David is doing some really good music directing here. John Shattig is my guest. Thank you for the coffee, young David. Young David made the mistake of asking uh, if there was any hot coffee left, and John and I said, "Well, there's only one way to find out. <laughs> Go make some." All God's creatures have work to do, young David. Have I read you that story from the Book of Virtues? I've done it with the audience before, have I not? We'll have to do this soon. We'll have to do it another time. Thanks, Uh, David. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you, David. The coffee is delicious. Uh, John Shattuck, uh, one of the things I would be looking forward to, and I'm hoping um, Speaker Johnson gives another more formal speech. I'm hoping he will. I assume he will when he literally has – uh, is sworn in unless that's already taken place. I think he's been sworn in. That's it. Okay. The reason I, I was I think they're going to consider legis- legislation today. Okay, great. All in because we've lost Trust some me, time. I could be wrong. I'm not the best. Well, source. we uh, – we, uh, oh, yeah. I'm, look 
look at this. I'm all, I'm all behind on all my technology here. Um, Newt Gingrich, when he took the gavel in 95, it was one of the great speeches uh, that went down in American rhetoric. And one of the things he uh, – oh, good. Young David is telling me that, uh, yeah, that you are right. They, they are already taking up uh, legislation. He gave a great speech, and I, he, he taught me a quote in that speech that I loved from um, one of my favorite people, Henry Clay. Uh, often there is not a distinguished man in the whole number of Congress. Its members are almost all obscure individuals whose names bring no associations to mind. They are mostly village lawyers, men in trade, or even pieces belonging to the lower classes of society. We're missing that a little bit, aren't we? We're missing a little bit of that humility, that country lawyer, if you will. Yeah, but uh, it looks like this guy may This have guy, it. he is yeah. it. Yes, this is what I'm thinking. And um, He had his light under a... Yeah. Under a bushel. bushel. Yeah. <laughs> Which you're not supposed to do. That's right. You're not supposed to do it. But you're also not supposed to sing your own praises. Yep. So let others sing your praises. I'm glad the conference got to it. John, you and I were lamenting um, what's going around on our comp- college campuses. There was this tremendously instructive, depressing, but instructive poll that was done by Har- Harvard Harris, uh, the Harvard Harris Polling Group. Uh, which is uh, Mark Penn, you know, the old Clinton guys. Yep. And this was an amazing thing. This was just an amazing thing to me to see that 51% of voters, 18 to 24, voters, so not people that aren't even registered, but 51% of 18 to 24-year-old voters said that Hamas was justified in doing what it did on October 7th, even given Palestinian grievance. 48% said they side more with Hamas than Israel, 18 to 24. We have a real youth problem here, a real young adult problem here. And I was talking yesterday with the audience about um, where this comes from. Uh, We've had problems with the universities for a long time. By the time they get to university, it may be too late. It might be elementary and secondary school. It might be parents. But it might be political leadership, too. You know, Joe Biden is a rudderless leader. And when you have a rudderless leader, you can have a rudderless nation. And there's there just seem to be no controls anymore. No, no, no. People, people talk about the importance of guardrails. There are no guardrails. And when we have such lost youth in this country at this point— you know, one hopes you can get um, some kind of correction, some kind of course correction where you can. And it might be political leadership, but we need it, I think. I Maybe I'm expecting too much of our political leadership, but Ronald Reagan could call us to the better angels of our nature. We have had political leaders that could do it for a while. I would argue not for a long time, but for a little period of time, Newt Gingrich did it could do it just for a little, maybe for about two years, and then, you know, things began to spin a little bit out of control. But sometimes political leaders can help change the culture of the country a little bit. I hate to be... Maybe I'm wrong. I hate to be even more negative, Okay, but uh, I I heard you say we have lost youth. I I think we have a lost nation or a lost society. Um, Yes, it is... uh, Shocking, uh, on the one hand, to learn that, as you say, 58% of voters in that age bracket, 18 to 24, think that Hamas had a right to do what it did. Um, 
But it really – Even given the grievance. They said given the Palestinian grievance. I mean they were given the out, you know. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things where it may be shocking, but it shouldn't be surprising. Um, the reality is the nation is, I believe, adrift and has been adrift maybe since the 50s. Um, there seems to be uh, a lack of clarity on the fundamentals. And uh, I often think it's uh, at least in part a result of the decline in faith or or religion uh, and that you know other people blame that and that's a factor but it is also true that there has been a lack of uh, inspiring leaders mm-hmm. we had Ronald Reagan uh, but since Ronald Reagan what inspiring leaders have we had if you look here in Arizona, I was chatting with a friend a couple of days ago, and I said, look, there was a time in Arizona when I mean this to be critical of the current legislature, but I do kind of mean it to be factual. Uh, there was time in, in, in Arizona's political history when the legislature had uh, a number of uh, leaders who were serious, thoughtful community leaders uh, and who were backed by – uh, the community in the sense that uh, businesses based here, Valley National Bank, Salt River Project, Arizona Public Service, maybe Chicano's Por La Casa or, or others uh, sat back and said, hmm, uh, we will only have good laws coming out of our legislature and we will only have growth and prosperity if we elect good people. And so they encouraged uh, – Good leaders to step forward. Uh, you may not, maybe they weren't perfect, but Bob Usdane or Jane D. Hull or, uh, for that matter, um, Art Hamilton. Uh, I remember Art. He, Art Hamilton yeah. was oh. a, a highly respected Democrat. He fought for what he believed in. Uh, uh, Alfredo, was it Alfredo yeah. Gutierrez? Yeah. Alfredo Gutierrez. Yeah. Um, we had thoughtful. People on both sides of the aisle, Burton Barr, uh-huh. um, you might have quibbled with them on an issue or two, but they took the job seriously and they didn't spend all their time uh, taking shots at across the aisle. They, 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 they were giants. Yep. And I want to talk about the importance of that when we come back, the importance of leadership in giants like that, because there was two elements to it that I want to add to what you said. Uh We'll tease it, and we'll do it when we come right back. John Shattig and I will be right back. I should put in a plug for uh, – I always ask him. I says, can I plug anything? What He says plug freedom. All he stands for is freedom. <laughs> it's true. But he also has a great consulting firm, uh, Shattig & Associates, S-H-A-D-E-G-G. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Shattig is my guest, and uh, we were just talking about um, – the importance of good leadership, obviously, in the context of us having a new Speaker of the House of Representatives, thank God, uh, and Mike Johnson being that man. And John was talking about, you know, even at the state legislature level in days of not too distant yore, there were members of the legislature that could provide this. And they did two other things to me, it seems, John. Uh, and you le- you listed some great names. Uh, I always remember a few others from that class as well. 
Um, maybe uh, you had men- mentioned Burton Barr. I was thinking of um, uh, uh, Jones Osborne, was it? Yes, uh, absolutely. I-, I was thinking of Pete Corpstein, maybe. Um, what was the woman's name? Jackie Steiner, maybe? Yes. Does that name ring a bell? In any event, without without going down that memory lane, my point was they did two other things. They would speak at high schools, and they would encourage students into public service. They had that power and ability. Students wanted to be like that. They wanted to follow their career and trajectories. You're now looking for your phone, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I yeah. saw what you were doing. <laughs> they... um. They encouraged students into public service. And then they had another power. And this is the one that I never see anymore. And you can talk about your corporations in town. You can talk about your employers. You can talk about your small business and civic associations in town. You know, when a piece or a proposal of something would come to them, you know what they would say? They would say, where does X stand on it? Yep. You know, they would say, where does so-and-so stand on this? Where are they? They didn't want to be too far apart, and they wanted to take guidance. It was actually they wanted to take guidance from these legislators more than lobby them in many respects, not in every respect, but in many respects. And that was the power of a good leader, too, because they were respected and respectable. And those leaders weren't just in politics. They were in uh, in business and in education mm-hmm. and in everything. Mm-hmm. And as a nation, the People who understood that they were leading, maybe great coaches, uh, maybe fantastic teachers, whoever, they understood that they actually had an obligation to do that, mm-hmm. to set an example for society. There was a, uh, a line in the op-ed that the Wall Street Journal published I don't remember it exactly, but basically it was, and it was toward the end of the piece. Uh, and it said in the last paragraph, and it said, the fate of the nation is determined by the character of its leaders. Correct. And and the editor at the Wall Street Journal took it out. Mm-hmm. And he, he sent me a draft and said, okay, here's, here's what I'm going to publish. And it was much shortened from my, what I'd wanted. Uh, but uh, he took out two uh, two sentences, and one of them was that one. And I said... Okay, so I know you're limited on space, but I want to put that one back in. And I told him why, because I wanted those members of Congress to think about, you know, uh, this is a big deal. We're not just fighting amongst ourselves. We are setting the fate of the nation and our character counts. So we can't just engage in petty fights. The other thing I did is. And by the way, if I might, John, I sorry to interrupt. I just want to tie it to what you said in that piece, which was so beautiful. Part of. That kind of character is suppressing individual ambition, as Absolutely. I recall you wrote. Oh, Absolutely. It's, it's just, why yeah. what uh, the eight did was wrong. They just advanced their own agenda and forgot that they were supposed to, as John McCain was facing, famous for saying, to give themselves to a cause greater than themselves. And the eight gave themselves to what they considered their greatest cause, which was themselves. Uh, the other thing I did, and and I understood why the editor wouldn't, understand that this was important. But when you get in a body like that and you get into where it is an intense fight every day, whether you want to or not, the vast majority kind of define themselves as one thing or the other. They either say, I'm a conservative. They may be wrong about that. They may not be very conservative, but they say to themselves, I'm a liberal or I'm a 
conservative or I'm a moderate amongst the Republicans. They don't say I'm a liberal. They say I'm a moderate and I'm a proud moderate. Uh, or they say I'm a conservative and I'm a proud conservative. And a small handful say I'm just one of these other guys that sees it both ways. Uh, I remember once uh, I was chairman of the Republican Study Committee and I gave the moderates, which were called the Tuesday group, a list of things that I thought we could agree upon. And I said, look, we can Bring the conference together if we'll publicly agree on these things. And they never got back to me. They never said yes or no. But I had a line in there that say that said all Republicans, conservative, moderates and others have to come together and elect a speaker. And because he'd never been in the Congress and had never seen that Im- that that impact on you, you self categorize yourself as a conservative or a moderate. He didn't understand that we had to overcome that in this instance. You need to stop at sometimes thinking of themselves as I'm a champion for the right or a champion for the left and think about, wait a minute, there's a nation here that we're supposed to be focused on. Hold that thought. Be right back. <laughs> I just get such a kick out of this. That's where Tom Coburn was from. That's right. I think, Muskogee. <laughs> I just get such a kick out of this. <laughs> Yeah, we don't burn our draft cards. It's burning in the Middle East, John. I did an editorial for Town Hall um, that will air tomorrow, and I heard Seb Gorka before me talking about this. Um, Israel's, we think, about to launch a ground war um, and doing house-to-house, um, a house-to-house uh, 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 to, uh, invasion of Gaza to uh, – to extirpate Hamas from their hideouts and their um, secreting of themselves in uh, in those homes. He said it's going to make Fallujah look like a cakewalk. Uh, we better steal ourselves. This, this, this is not going to be an easy haul, and the media is going to be so irresponsible about this, and it's going to give a lot more fodder to the kind of protests we've been seeing. Um, it goes also to the character of this country and the culture of this country about wartime, I think. Um, I, I'm really interested in the fact that people keep comparing what Israel has to do as a cakewalk to Fallujah. Fallujah was so unfortunate in Iraq. We had to take it four times because we didn't do it right the first time. And we couldn't do it right the first time, so to speak. We couldn't clean it out the first time. Remember when those four American contractors were burned to death and hung from a bridge? We couldn't We couldn't do it right the first time because our political leadership didn't think Americans and the West had the stomach to see what a strong, disproportionate, overwhelming response would be. I'm not sure this will go any better. And of course, America ultimately had its problems with the Iraq war and the and the media didn't help when it just had the ticker tape going every day like they did with COVID. It's easy for Americans to sour on the kinds of things that need to be done in the name of protecting civilization, but that is what needs to be done. We, we, um, war is the, is, 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 is a terrible thing. John Stuart Mill said, but it's not the most terrible thing. Uh, it's, it's what you're fighting for. And of course, how you fight it, but I'm 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 worried about our staying power, our stick to itiveness, and our moral direction on this, John. I don't know what you think. Um, it's not going to be pretty. It is. It will be uh, shocking. And when you see the 
I don't know if it's bias or ignorance of our youth who tend to grab causes but who have been inculcated somehow to believe that that anything Hamas does to uh, respond to how it has been treated is justified, then you, you, you worry about literally civilization itself. You worry about whether this could spin out of control. And you know, it, it is so stunningly clear that Joe Biden has projected weakness from the nanosecond he took office. Um, it, it, he, he is a stunning example of having done nothing he claimed he would do. He told us he was going to be a uniter, and he's been the biggest divider, I think, in my lifetime, uh, far more than even Obama. Yeah, I agree. He's been a, a divider. He's worked to divide us. I never considered a time when the president of the United States would attack half the nation as a threat to the nation. But yeah, it has been comparing his— Comparing them to Jefferson Davis and Bull Connor. Yeah, all that. And on and on. Yeah. Uh, and, and he just keeps doing it. And this goes back to the decline of the American society. They don't stand up and say, wait a minute, he's wrong. But he, his weakness projected uh, from uh, our extrication from Afghanistan forward has sent a completely clear message. And now, stunningly, uh, he, instead of just staying out of it and saying to Israel, we will support you. He, in fact, has his hand in the middle of that saying, uh, step back. You know, it's a, it's an opportunity where Israel could demonstrate its willingness to lead, take on the fight, uh, demonstrate that Hamas engaged in horrific conduct specifically targeted at civilians, something society has banned and disapproved of since the beginning of time. And all Biden needed to do was stay out of it. And instead, he's now in the middle of it. And and it's pretty clear that this is not this is, in fact, our problem. It's not just their problem. By projecting weakness, uh, Biden is encouraging Iran to become bolder and bolder every day and to test us. And American soldiers have been injured and are being injured. And we sit back and do nothing. Um, I, I think it is a very grave moment. Uh, and, and, you know, kind of looking back at the House speakership, speakership race, the the Republican House should be right now uh, demanding that the president have a backbone, uh, that, that he let the Israelis decide how they need to protect themselves. Stop for a minute and imagine if uh, people within uh, five miles of the Mexican border we're being killed by Mexicans uh, and not just not soldiers, but innocent civilians, some of them babies, some of them grandmothers. You know, we would no more sit still for that than the man in the moon. I I think they are being very strategic in deciding not to jump into that. Uh, and I think they they ought to I think they ought to continue to eliminate Hamas's leaders. And then they ought to say, you release everybody or. Uh, uh, you know, then uh, hell will be on you. Uh, and that might cause, assuming the, the top leaders of Hamas are have been eliminated by then, it might cause the second or third tier leaders of Hamas to say, you know, I think I'd rather turn these, these uh, uh, people we are holding as hostages over to Israel than die myself.
which would send the message uh, that uh, the conduct they engaged in is unacceptable. You look at the reaction of so many states in the Middle East, and you look at the reaction of the left in this country, you look at, my God, the left in Europe, um, the effort that Israel has made to attract goodwill by putting a hand behind its back and playing by Marcus of Queensbury rules turned out to mean nothing. Yeah. Turned out to mean nothing. The calls for genocide come nonetheless. Just go do it. Just go do it and save yourselves and save us too. John Shattuck, yeah, it's good to too. see you. Yeah. Oh, right? Right. Yep. Bless you. Bless you, John. Thanks. I, Glad yeah, to be here. It's good Lots to see fun. you. And you got some good coffee. Good fresh yeah. coffee. Thank you, David. Thank you, John. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Y Refi, great company in town, not just because of the great investment they have uh, for you, at, um, at uh, which you can learn more about at their website, uh, investyrefi.com, but just because they're great actors in the community, great citizens in the community. Y Refi has an investment in a portfolio that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve, or the Federal Reserve. That can uh, give you up to a 10.25% rate of return, a 10.25% fixed rate of return, as I say, and not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. And with a lot of flexibility where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, uh, there are no fees in this um, investment and portfolio, which is secure and collateralized, and there's no penalty if you need your money back at any time. So again, check them out at investyrefi.com. Invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. I I keep referencing that John Stuart Mill quote, and it's a great one. It was uh, a piece he wrote uh, from England in justifying the Emancipation Proclamation of Abraham Lincoln's, and he said the actual quote is this, War is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. The decayed and degraded state of moral and patriotic feeling which thinks that nothing is worth a war is much worse. When a people are used as mere human instruments for firing cannon or thrusting bayonets in the service and for the selfish purposes of a master, such war degrades a people. A war to protect other human beings against tyrannical injustice, a war to give victory to their own ideas of right and good and which is their own war carried on for an honest purpose by their free choice is often the means of regeneration. A man who has nothing which he is willing to fight, nothing which he cares more about than he does his own personal safety, is a miserable creature who has no chance of being free unless made and kept so by the exertions of better men than himself. As long as justice and injustice have not terminated their ever-renewing fight for ascendancy in the affairs of mankind, Human beings must be willing, when need is, to do battle for the one against the other. For the one against the other. The ever-renewing fight for the ascendancy of justice versus injustice. There are those two sides in this world. Not everything is morally vague. And that doesn't have to be, except made so by lesser men and women than ourselves. Go be good men and women, folks. Strive to be good men and women. David, thank you. You're a good man. And uh, thank you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leibson. God bless and class dismissed. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.